birthday. And our sermon text is Acts 16, 11 through 19. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatra named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to our home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul came so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At the moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. This is God's word. Please remain standing and join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this day, Lord, that we can just as believers gather and learn and fellowship with others, God. I pray for the message um, that you just speak to our hearts, Lord, and help us to open our hearts and our minds to what you have to tell us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome. So good to see everybody this morning. I hope that um, if you have a Bible, that it's open to Acts chapter 16. And I hope that the Word of God encourages us this morning through what the Spirit of God would say to us. <clears throat> Have you ever uh, had a crush on anybody? All of us. Don't, don't be ashamed. And um, have you ever been told, you're not my type? <laughs> I think every single girl that I've ever liked, except one, that's, <laughs> that's what they have said to me. Um, but the only one that mattered, um, I was her type, so great. praise God for this. Now, I would imagine that if you've been a Christian for any length of time and have taken seriously <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Jesus' call to, to make the gospel known to people, to, to tell people about Jesus Christ, that you found yourself um, perhaps saying that there are certain people that you thought, maybe even outrightly, outrightly said after some time, oh, they're just never going to accept Christ. They would never accept him. Maybe you've tried, and time and time again, it's met with uh, disapproval, and you've just kind of reserved them as the, not the type of person to accept Jesus. So this is what we mean, perhaps, without saying it or thinking through critically um, this statement, that what we actually mean is, they're not the kind of person to accept Jesus Christ or the type of person. They're too hostile, too much of a hardened atheist, too skeptical, too evil, right? Like just glutting themselves in the pas sinful passions of this world. Feel too whatever, too fill in the blank. And I've said this and I've thought this. They're never going to accept Jesus. So we just kind of reserve into the back, retreat into the background and just give up and say, well, you know, it's just not going to happen. 
And I think this points to two things that are very important, two very core things that help us understand this. The first thing is that we're processing with bad theology, potentially bad theology. I'll explain that in a second. Second, even if our theology is good, we're not believing it. It's not settled in our, in our hearts. And at times, doesn't this happen with the things that we believe about God? We start believing or disbelieving our own doctrine about God. But perchance, let's say our doctrine is a bit wrong. It's always ex explained, bad doctrine is always explained with good doctrine. Namely, that no one is the kind of person who would trust in Jesus Christ. You see, we think that person isn't the type, when in reality, when we read Scripture at length, what Scripture says is, none of us are the type. Nobody's the type. And if you really think about this question, or if we make the statement, they're just not the type or the kind of person, what are we kind of saying? Well, that must mean I am the type if I've accepted Jesus. Isn't there a little bit of pride in that? Right, that you're the type and they're not? Friend, nobody, no one's the type. No one is the kind of person to accept Jesus Christ. The Bible says that everyone is bent on unbelief. No matter how polite they might be or unspoken about it they might be, they are bent on unbelief. Or no matter how hostile or vocal that they might be. How many people have friends on Facebook like this? Hostile and vocal about their, their animosity toward Christians and the Christian faith. Everyone is bent on unbelief. Even you, friend, if you've come to faith in Jesus, this required a miracle. Because, I want you to hear this, this is important. Because no one is the kind of person to become a Christian, it takes a divine and miraculous awakening from the Holy Spirit for anyone to become a Christian, you see? And here's the great hope in this. Because there is no kind of person bent on faith in Jesus, we are all the kind of people that can be rescued. Because there's no kind of person that can become a Christian, we are all the kind of people that can become a Christian. Isn't that the irony in this? If it requires a miracle from God, praise God. Praise, because that gives anybody hope. The most hardened atheist or the most polite religious person who is maybe self-deceived. If our awakening depends not on us, but on God, whose will cannot be resisted, we can all be the kind of person who believes in Jesus Christ. Amen? Because you are his type. <laughs> Even if he's not your type, you are his type. He loves you, he made you, and he created you. What a spectacular illustration that we have of this in our text. Two very different types of women come to faith in Jesus Christ. You already might have noticed this as we read the text, just the description of who they are, two very different people. Isn't it interesting? We'll get to that in a moment. In chapter 16 of Acts, we're continue, continuing our study of the book of Acts. Chapter 16 gives three remarkable accounts of three very different people coming to faith in Jesus that he was God in the flesh who died for their sins and rose for their life. Three di very different kinds of people. The third character, Philip, you didn't see him in our text because we're going to deal with him next week. But um, there's a third character, Philip. This morning we're going to look at these two very different kinds of women who put all of their hope and all of their faith in Jesus Christ. What kind of person are you? What type are you? Is God not your type? 
Do you think you're not his type? Do you think you're too evil, too skeptical, too far gone? Friend, we're all his type. For God so loved the world, all kinds of people, that he gave his son to die for us. Do you think that you or someone else just are never, you've given up hope, they're never going to believe? I, I'm thinking of people in my mind right now that they've been so difficult and so hostile towards Christianity that I would just, no, it's just, it's just not going to happen. But that, doesn't that put more of my trust and hope in their, their will instead of God's, instead of God's power? <clears throat> so have you lost hope in the conversion of a, of a friend or a family member? I hope as we look at this passage today that we see that God can do miracles, that God does miracles, that God can do anything to anybody when he wishes and wills. I would like this morning to do a character sketch of these two women, Lydia and the slave girl, and show the circumstances of how they came to faith in Jesus, and I want to close with some points of application. So let's look at Lydia. Our text tells us in Acts 16 that Lydia <clears throat> was living in Philippi, but she was from Thyatira. Um, these are places in Asia Minor, Greece, uh, around Greece at the time. And we can gather some very interesting things about this woman based on the text. Maybe some of us can identify with this person, even if we're a man. Um, but this is Lydia. She's an industrious entrepreneur. Okay? She's dealing purple cloth. So she's a business owner. That's what we learned from this passage. She had mo moved from Thyatira to Philippi, presumably, presumably because she's a successful businesswoman. So she's ambitious, and she's a convincing leader. Um, if you notice, after her conversion, it reads, she invited us to her home. This is Paul and the apostles. And she says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. In Acts chapter 16, verse 40, we learn that her house becomes a home church and a training center for Christian leaders in the city. She persuaded the apostles. I, I want to just take a brief moment on this because it sort of implies that Paul was resisting the suggestion, right? She had to persuade them. Man, no, that Lydia, I don't think so. It's not a good idea. But, but whatever the reasons, it was somewhat getting resisted, but she persuaded them. What kind of person do you think it would take to convince one of the most brilliant and ambitious leaders in human history <laughs> to get them to change their minds? Lydia was that kind of person. She was countercultural. She was a business woman. Not so common back then. It's, it's even somewhat not as common even today in our, in our modern world, in, in our enlightened minds and, and worldviews. It's still not quite as common to see women business leaders as it is men. But she, in a very different culture, a very different world, this was not a, a common thing to see at all. She's a businesswoman. She's countercultural. She's also rich. <clears throat> it's, very, it's very likely that she's wealthy. Uh, the Bible says, that we said this before, she's a dealer in purple cloth. Now, you might not realize this, but purple clothes were very expensive. Okay, for whatever the reason, I don't know why, it, they were just expensive clothes. So she's se selling high-end clothing to rich, wealthy people. Almost like, um, you know, one of those boutiques on, um, in New York City on Madison Ave or wherever they might be. Recall in Luke chapter 16, remember the... The rich man and Lazarus, what's, what's the rich man clothed in? Purple, right? So purple is a, a symbol of wealth. So here she is, a dealer, a businesswoman, a saleswoman, selling purple clothes. She's wealthy, okay? 
this has to assume that her clientele are upper crust people, aren't they? they? These people that she's interacting with probably on a daily basis are rich, influential, powerful, intelligent people. The 1%, if you would, of her day. And her business is beauty as well. So she's dealing with all sorts of people that want to make themselves look great and beautiful and look smart and wise. <laughs> so that, that must mean, too, as well, if she's wealthy, she's probably educated, she's probably very intelligent, she's at least exposed to people who are um, um, on a daily basis, like then, wealth, with wealth comes education, right? She's quite cosmopolitan from Thyatira, living in Philippi. She's a woman, that's what that word means, she's a woman of the world. She's been around. She probably speaks multiple languages. You see, who, you see who Lydia is now? Kind of getting a picture of her now? Very smart, very wealthy, very traveled, a cosmopolitan woman. But there's more about this woman. She's seeking God. I don't know if you saw this. The Bible describes her as a worshiper of God. She's, she's more, more than likely Greek. That means she was either pagan or believe, uh, pagan, believed in the Greek pantheon, or she had a, a philosophical persuasion from Plato, Aristotle, and all these guys. <clears throat> she's not satisfied with the religious culture of her own upbringing, so she turns to Judaism for answers. She's seeking after God. Isn't that interesting? She was a worshiper of God, so she wasn't satisfied with these things. She was a God-fearer. She was a a converted Gentile that had become Jewish, which makes her a humble person, right? So rich, beautiful, powerful, smart entrepreneur who's actually seeking after God, humble in prayer, listening intently to Paul and what he has to say. She doesn't say, hey, Paul, let me tell you something, Paul. <clears throat> she's listening to him because she's seeking God. She's separate even she, she left her culture to go to Judaism. She was a Gentile woman, and even in Judaism, she would have been separated from the temple because she was a woman and because she was a Gentile. So she had restricted access to the temple as well, just kind of marking her humility. So Lydia just kind of seems to have it all, right? All together, all together, all together lovely. <laughs> Wealthy, smart, ambitious, humble, spiritual. That's Lydia. Let's look at the circumstances of her conversion. How did she come to faith in Jesus? It says in our text on verse 13, On the Sabbath, when we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple clothes. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Lydia was both a woman and a God-fearer, that's a Gentile convert to Judaism, she would have been restricted certain access to the temple, as I just mentioned. So Paul's outside the city looking for people to talk to about the gospel. He's outside the city gate expecting to find groups of religious Gentiles exercising their devotion, and he comes across a group of women having a Bible study, having a prayer meeting. And you know what Paul doesn't say? Hey, let's go find some men. <laughs> right? He doesn't say, let's go find people that are a little bit more accepted in our community. They will give us clout. If they convert, then it will show the rest of the world that we're, like, legit. He doesn't do that. He said, no, let's sit down with these women and give them the gospel. So Paul and Silas sit down with them, and they start explaining the gospel. 
And it's more likely like a conversation. Paul was sitting. It's not really a sermon. He's not up here like this, teaching them, like I'm teaching you, right? Like a monologue type of thing. It's a conversation. There are questions and answers and dialogue, more than likely, about the gospel and about God. God-fearers would have been in a very difficult, so Lydia would have been in a very difficult position spiritually. Let me explain to you why. First off, she would have had to abandon her cultural religion. Right off the bat, we know that, and that's tough to do in her culture. Many times in the world that we live in, maybe with the exception of kind of like the the modern world that we live in in the West, it's not so much um, a, a problem when we decide to become another religion. But you know what? It was 80 years ago in our country. If you were a religion and you switched, it was a very big deal. And it's still like that in many places in our world, and it was like that for her. So she would have had to leave her cultural, her, her, her faith that was presumably in like the gods, the pantheon gods of Greek or, or Greece or Rome, like Apollo and all these things. Or she would have had to leave, lead, leave, and this is what was more likely the case because she was rich and intelligent, right? So she would have been taught Platonic philosophy. She would have been part of like the enlightened philosophical belief system in Greece at the time. So back then, should you have abandoned, it's likely she would have abandoned the mythology of Greece and adopted this Platonic worldview. She was probably either, now this, these are some big words, so just kind of follow this. She was likely either Epicurean or Stoic. These were Platonic philosophies. Let me explain to you. It's very simple, okay? What these believed was that death was the end. You live your life and you die and that's it. Sound familiar? <laughs> that's what they believed, though. Very much like our modern world today in our secularism that we see today death was the end epicureans believed if death's the end have a lot of fun because you only got one life to live baby so glut yourself on the passions of life get drunk have lots of sex it doesn't matter just you know wear your flesh on your sleeve have a lot of fun that was the basically i don't oversimplify it but that's basically epicureans stoics actually took the exact opposite lane isn't this interesting they, they too believed that the death was the end, but because of that, they would say, you need to separate yourself from the world because you're going to get hurt by it. Because if you fall in love, they're going to die and you're never going to see them again. So d- void yourself of emotion. That was kind of, the, you know, the stoic, that's where we get that word from. Someone's got like a stoic face. That's what we, where we get that from. So the stoics believed... You, Suppress your emotions, suppress your passions, because it's just going to end and it's going to hurt you more if you, if you feed that appetite. It's basically, <clears throat> so this is telling in that there were so many Gentile converts to Judaism. So many people were leaving this at the time, culturally, they were leaving this philosophy because it was empty. You just, just kind of know instinctually that this can't be the way to live life. You know, you're going to die, it's the end, so just have lots of fun. Right? Like, people just kind of, it's just empty, it leaves you empty. There's no hope in this worldview. So people like Lydia, many people like Lydia, were converting to Judaism because Judaism gave them a measure of hope. And you know, similarly today, many people have ab- abandoned modernity and secularism for post-modernity. Let me explain to you what I mean. Generations of people have realized, this is our modern world now, that secularism leaves us empty. Empty. That, in other words, death is, is the end. Science will give us all the answers that we can that we will have for all of our questions. 
And just don't hope for anything after death because matter is eternal, right? This is secularism. A lot of people were kind of fed up with this as a philosophy. So that's where sometimes you hear the word post-modernity. Post-modernity sort of allows for something out there. It allows for there being more than what we can know. That, there, that life isn't just about science, right? It hasn't led people to become Christians, but it has led people to become more, quote-unquote, spiritual, right? And that's kind of like the difference between the, like the baby-booming generation and maybe my generation and younger. Because even if you're not a Christian, my generation and younger, we're sort of dissatisfied with this, well, you're just going to die, it doesn't matter, nothing matters, that kind of mentality, right? So post-modernity has come in, telling us there's something more. There's something beyond science. And you know, I'm going to get my nerd on right now. You ready for my nerd? So you notice this in two different characters in Star Trek. How many people have ever watched Star Trek? Okay. And we can debate afterwards about which one is the best one. I particularly favor Voyager. But isn't it good? It's awesome. Women, there was, there's a woman captain of the, star sh of the, the ship. That so shows you how, how modern and progressive I am. Um, so, but, but I'm not going to refer to those right now. You see this kind of come out in Star Trek. Star Trek, the original Star Trek, who was the guy that was always about logic? Mr. Spock, right, Mr. Spock. He defied emotion. He was half Vulcan and he was half human. So the human side gave him these feelings that were just annoying to his Vulcan side because the Vulcan side said, nope, feelings are going to crush you and kill you, get rid of them. Life is all about logic. So that's Mr. Spock, all right? Enter Star Trek The Next Generation, okay? We have Captain Picard. You know him, right? And who is, who is the Spock counterpart in Star Trek The Next Generation? Data. Data is all robot. He's all logic. And what does data always want? Emotion, feeling, humanness. Do you see that shift? You see that shift from modernity, Mr. Spock, to post-modernity, data? Someone who is like just defying emotion, all, all about logic, to someone who is post-modern, who knows there's something more out there. There's got to be more to life than just base logic, and that's data. And there's even one great episode where the Borg gives him feeling. You remember this? Okay, so end of nerd story and back to the Bible. I, I say that to describe to you that, that this is a very real cultural shift in our culture too. It's just like what was happening with Lydia. They had this, this philosophy and, and they knew it was empty. So they were seeking for something more and Lydia left her paganism. They, they, she left her Greek philosophy and went to Judaism. And you know what she found there? The crushing burden of the law. She found hope in the next life, but she also found the inability to attain to it. Do you remember when we talked earlier about the, um, the, the sermon on circumcision? And someone told me I said that word way too much in front of kids, so I apologize. <laughs> Good luck, Mom and Dad. Um, but um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, so you remember that, that sermon that, that Paul was, was concerned that they were putting the crushing burden, burden of the law on people that had come to faith in Jesus, that, that, that Christianity was salvation by grace through faith, not following all of these legalistic systems that came through Judaism. So here we see this. Lydia leaves paganism for hope to Judaism and finds, just, finds it just as empty. 
Because, yeah, there's an afterlife, but I'll never even attain to it because I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. So she's searching, and along comes Paul. Along he comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ that tells her there is a hope of eternal life, and someone has paid your price for you. And Scripture says that the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, opened her eyes and she became a believer in Jesus Christ. The curse of the law had been removed. The Lord opened her eyes. You know, she, the, the scriptures say that she responded to the message. Now that's kind of like a very weak, light word. When you translate the Greek word to the English word, respond is a very weak word. It's more like, that word when you translate it, it's more like an addiction. Lydia had become intoxicated with the gospel because she knew what, she, what it did for her. It gave her hope in the life to come because, number one, it gave her a life to come. There was an actual life to come. But number two, it cleaned her. It cleansed her from all her sins to make it possible to be, enter into that life. And she became intoxicated. The Bible says the Holy Spirit caused her to respond to the message. That is to become intoxicated with that message. Attracted to it. Mesmerized by it. And friends, isn't it true that so often that we are intoxicated with so many different things besides the Lord? Oh, wouldn't it be so fantastic to be wealthy? To be married? We're intoxicated with everything but Jesus Christ. And you know what the, uh, the irony is? Because we're so intoxicated with this world, that increases the level of brokenness and disappointment we get from it. So you know what we end up doing? We, get, we end up intoxicated on other things to relieve the pressure. Drugs or alcohol or sex or food or binge Netflixing, right? We're escaping a brokenness. Oh, friend, be intoxicated with the gospel. He is better. Jesus is better. The Lord opened her eyes. One, one teacher noted, this woman's business was beauty, but had never seen something so beautiful. All the beauty that she had seen was ugly in comparison to the beauty of Jesus Christ. Do you know how beautiful he is? Do you know it? You know, if you're a Christian, you say, yeah, I know it. Do you? Have, have you forgotten? He is beautiful. And it's so life-giving for Lydia that she said almost immediately, please use my home as a church, as a center for ministry in this city. <laughs> Amazing. A center for the God. So a rich intelligent, hardworking businesswoman is transformed by the gospel. The Lord, not Lydia, opened her eyes. The Lord opened her eyes. She was the Lord's type. You say, oh no, I'm not rich or beautiful. Well, good. Neither am I. So let's go to the next example of who the Lord's type is, the slave girl. <clears throat> let's look at the slave girl. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future, and she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. 
owners. She was property. Lydia was in the business of selling goods, and this girl was the goods. Enter the scene, a female slave. Scripture in context, historical context, would put this girl about 10 to 14 years old. 10 to 14 years old. Almost like our slave trafficking today. The, the original Greek texts said that she had, you, you all just kind of feel, felt really sad and broken for her, now you're going to laugh. The, the original Greek te text is that she had the spirit of the python. It's not in your text. Um, it's, it's not in there. It says that she had a spirit, an evil spirit. And the reason for that is because we don't know what the spirit of the python is. So translators are like, let's just leave that out. No one will even know. People understand evil spirits. But the, the original text says that she had the spirit of the python. And, and the only person who will appreciate this is Chris. Um, that just reminds We watched this stupid kung fu movie um, when we were little kids. And um, Bruce Leroy, remember this? He had the... He had, oh, someone else knows. He had the power of the glow. <laughs> and I don't know why, when I read this, I thought of Bruce Leroy. But the power of glow is a good thing for him, at least. Anyway, <laughs> I'm glad someone else knew. But that now you're all going to look it up. Oh, please do. It's, it's so ridiculous. If there's a swear, now this is going to be swearing in it that I'm not remembering. But <laughs> anyway, so she, she has this spirit of the python. She's got the power of the glow. And it's named after, um, uh, it's, it's named after a Pythian servant, a serpent, okay? Um, this is Greek mythology now. It's named after, after a Pythian serpent, and she, she was said to have guarded the oracle of Delphi. This is an actual place in Greece. There was this oracle that predicted the future. And the spirit of this python kind of filled these, these diviners, this is what they believed at least, um, with this ability to do this. Okay, and this, this Pythian serpent guarded this oracle at Delphi who was supposedly slain by the Greek god Apollo. So Apollo killed this Pythian serpent and then the spirit of this serpent would fill these ladies and help them predict the future. That was the, that was the, um, the, the mythology behind the origin of that. People back then believed in this though. We look at Greek mythology now as, as mythical and stories, right? But back then this was their religion. So they believed that they had a literal spirit of this python. The pagan culture believed that those who could see the future had the spirit of this snake in them. Okay? These diviners would have been marked as providing accurate predictions. So in other words, the reason they got so wealthy is because when they predicted the future, it actually happened. That's why they were getting so rich. Okay? The only way to, to make money is if you're right. Right? And they also, these people, these diviners, so, so this slave girl included, had very bizarre behavior. They even called them at times ventriloquists. Isn't that funny? <laughs> ventriloquists. And it's not because they had little puppet dolls that, and made them speak. It's because they actually became possessed and spoke almost like in different voices. So the little girl would have like the voice of an old man, right? Almost kind of like, you know, what you'd see in a, you know, a horror movie like Exorcist or something like this, right? And they made money because they were accurate. So the, here's this bizarre, kind of scary, intimidating individual in this slave girl. 
And honestly, one, one thing that is, is interesting too is it's more, likely that, it's more than likely that this young girl was actually very pretty. Because a lot of times it's said, just like in the culture back then, that these diviners would be attractive young ladies. Sold by her family. She's a slave. So at some point, her parents gave her up, sold her, and now she's the property of society, exploited by evil people. So here's this shrieking slave girl, <laughs> speaking like an old man, following Paul around and saying this in verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these are men, these are men, right? <laughs> Servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. You know, there's a part of that text where Paul, it says Paul got annoyed by this. And you might think, like, that doesn't, that, that makes Paul look kind of bad. Well, you're right, it does. Remember, he's just a man. And also, that's how you know the story is true. Like, because if you're making up a story about yourself, what are you going to say? Oh, Paul moved with the compassion of Jesus Christ. <laughs> right? That, that's what, that's, if you're making it up, no, this is real. This is re this happened. So Paul's ticked about, with, this whim, with this woman, and he says, come, come out of her. Right? But this girl, look at her testimony. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She knows who they are, and she knows that it almost seems like she's complimenting their message. Why is Paul mad at this? But if you understand really what she was saying, and this is hard to see in the text, but really it's more likely that she is saying that their God is a way, is one way to be saved. Their God is like better than some of the other ones. So obviously this is a false doctrine. There is only one God. And there is only one way to God through Christ. So she's not telling them the truth. She is more telling a wicked lie about the gospel, what it is not. And Paul, giving her maybe a little bit of space and grace, becomes annoyed and deals with it. Jesus Christ is not a God of one's preference. He is the God. Salvation through Christ is not one way of many for the forgiveness of sins. It is the only way, friends. And if it is not, then throw your Bible in the trash can because that's what it says. If it is not, then we are wasting our time as Christians. We don't have the right to pick and choose the things that we want to believe, the nice verses in Psalms or some of the, the, fun, the, the gentle sayings of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's all of it or none of it. And it's important. We look at this, this girl. She's demon-possessed. And we say, well, that's so foreign to me. How can I identify with this crazy little girl <laughs> possessed by a demon? We tend to think that this girl has no control. A lot of times we think of demon possession as people who have no control over this. But I would argue the opposite that oftentimes the demons that possess us are our own choice and are the product of our worshiping our own separate gods. Now, I know some of you don't allow for evil spirits because that's just not what you believe in, you're a modern person, but some of us might. But you still think, that's not my situation, I don't have an evil spirit. Let me, let me encourage you to consider otherwise. Are you a slave to things that you delight in? What owns you? 
Are you a slave to money, to popularity, to beauty, to success, to good parenting, to parenting in general? What are you a slave to? What do you have to have? Because if you don't have it, it'll prove to you like Rocky Balboa that you're a bum. Friends, can I, can I suggest to you that you have an evil spirit, a false God that you worship, a greater love than Jesus Christ? And I know what it's like, because I wrestle with those demons too. You are a slave to the things that you delight in and love most. If that's power, you're a slave to power, and you're going to shriek to possess it. If it's the approval of people, then you are going to shriek for mom's approval or dad's approval or boss's approval. This girl's problem is our problem, friends. We have a foreign lover that we commit adultery with, and each time we do, we are unfaithful to our bridegroom, the creator of us and all that we see. You see? He's the God that we should love most. So this girl's problem is our problem. Here's this young, possessed, abandoned possession put up against Lydia, a successful, independent, wealthy, cosmopolitan. Both come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lydia, perhaps entering her Manhattan boutique, walks by this drug-addicted, whore-pimped-out prostitute on her way to a crack hut. You see, you see what I mean? These two very different people. Both not the type to accept Jesus. Both the type to be rescued by God's grace. You see? Let's look at her conversion. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and slapped it. No. <laughs> Said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out. And at that moment, the spirit left. Isn't it interesting how the gospel came to this girl in comparison to Lydia? Lydia is getting an interactive Bible study, <laughs> right? She's got navigators in front of her. This slave girl gets a command. Lydia receives a rational dialogue. This slave girl encounters the power of God. They both need, needed what they received, too, by the way. One needed power. The other needed reason. Lydia was stricken with the emptiness of her false philosophy, the crushing burden of the law, but the slave girl needed deliverance. She needed a new master. See? This slave girl was doubly enslaved, a slave to human masters, exploited by society, but enslaved by evil, evil spirits that possessed her. And Paul speaks to that demon in the name of Jesus Christ come out of her. Jesus in that moment, took back what was his. Because she, is, she belonged to the King of kings and Lord of lords and creator of all the earth. And friend, I don't care who you are, that's you. You don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to this country. You don't belong to your kids, your wife, or your parents. You belong to God in heaven. And so do I. And that gives us great dignity. Friends, he loves you. Turn from that evil spirit. Turn from that wicked God that gives you nothing but death and brokenness and depression and turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That's for you. What rules you, friend? What's your demon? What are you a slave to? You need to demote it. It needs a demotion. <laughs> nothing wrong with wives, but my wife is not Jesus. 
And if she is, she needs a demotion. And you know what actually is the ironic? Oh, that's tough, Kyle. Your wife's not here. Is that why you're saying that? (laughs) You know what happens? This is the irony of it. When I do that, she gets elevated in my life. She gets more importance to me, more love. Because when I worship anything but God, I end up crushing everyone else around me. And it's very simple. Why? Because she's not that person. She's not God. And, and your girl, your boss isn't your, your job isn't your God. And when you think it is, it crushes you. And you end up hating it. They disappoint. Demote it, friend. Some of us this morning need to start demoting some things. The size of your bank account. The size of your house. The amount of cars that you own. You need to start getting, putting things through some demotion. Don't you? If your demon is money or sex or power or love, you're a slave to it and you need a new master. Would you come to Christ and get your new master? Would you ask him to forgive you of your sin, to put him in the right place that he should have been a long time ago? Friends, in the name of Jesus Christ, get out. Let's close with some points of application. I want to just point out again, There is no kind of person that is more psychologically prone to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. The slave girl is not the type. Lydia is not the type. Neither of them are. No one is the type, and that's why it is ironically possible for anyone to be saved. We're all the type. Because none of us are the type, we're all the type. Isn't that great news? Look, if the, so here's what I mean. If the type of person that gets saved is rich, funny, and smart, then that eliminates like 20% or 80% of the people in this room. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was rude. I didn't mean that. You're all very smart and funny. Okay? But you see what I mean, though? If that's the type of person, then we just eliminated 80% of the human pop- population. There's no hope for them. That's why the gospel has to be for no type of people or no kind of person. Because if it is, it only gives hope for a very select few, and that is not hope at all. The, the gospel is for not, not for the kind of person or people that we are. There is no, we are all broken. We are all separated from God. We, are all, we all have unbelief in our hearts. We all worship other gods, and we all need God to say, wake up or get out of her. Or we'll never come to... See, we're all the... Because none of us are the type, we're all the type. Because none of us are the kind of person, we're all the kind of person. The miracle of salvation is the power of God and what He does. That's the first point. So that, you know what that does? That gives us hope for our hardened, atheist, angry relative. They cannot resist the power of God. When God goes to them and says, get out, that demon will flee. That gives us hope, friends. You know what what else we can kind of notice about this and how to apply this? That God saves outcasts. And you might kind of trip over this and not really see it, but these are both women. Right, right off the bat, these are somewhat outcasts in their society. They're not as accepted as men in the business world or in the church. But you see, that you see these two women, the first, the first people that could have converted in Philippi are women, not men. 
And we're going to go to the Philippi, um, uh, Philip next week, the jailer. And he's also a Gentile, someone unlikely to be included in the group at the time. God saves women, slaves, and Gentiles. Gender, ethnic, and social barriers are brought down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And you know what else we can kind of learn about this? There's really no cookie-cutter way of giving the gospel to people. We don't have to use the Romans road every single time that we talk to someone about Jesus Christ. Sometimes they need the power of God. Get out of her. Sometimes they need a Bible study. There is no cookie-cutter gospel presentation that will just work for everybody. This doesn't work like that. Lydia needed to be reasoned with. The slave girl needed power. Friends, who do you think isn't the type? Who do you think isn't the type? I, I want to challenge you this morning to write their name down. The person in your mind that you think, nope, not going to accept Jesus Christ. Write their name down and start praying for them. Because you want to know what? If there is a God and he is real... He is stronger than them. He is smarter than them. And he can do it. So write their name down. Put it on your corkboard at home or your computer screen and pray for them. Don't give up. Who do you think isn't the type? Who do you think never will? How dare you? Do you think you're not the type? too wicked, too gone, too smart. How dare you? I want to dare you to seek God. Seek him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are good and that you are faithful. God, sometimes we all, how dare any of us to speak against you? God, you are so good, God, and you love us so much. I pray, Lord, that anyone who might be here this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ would this moment put their faith in Christ. God, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would open eyes to see the beauty of Jesus Christ came and died for your sin, friend. All of it, you don't have to die for it. He loves you. He made you. He created you in his image. This creation is meant to speak to you that he is real and that he is there and that he is powerful, that he has made you. The heavens declare the glory of God. Come to him this moment by faith in Jesus Christ. He is what you've been looking for. All your life you think you've been looking for something else. It's been him. Oh God, thank you for being our Lord. If there's anyone here this morning that is putting faith in Jesus Christ, would you tell him? Would you say a prayer? Call out to God. Repent of your sin. Tell God that you are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Turn from it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will save you. And if that's you, friend, I just want to beg you to come talk to me after so that I can pray with you and talk more with you about this. If you're not really ready for that, you're just, but you feel like the Lord is leading you, please come talk to me. God, we just love you. We thank you. All of us in this room, sometimes, as, even as Christians, God, we get back into that demon mentality where something is starting to possess us, own us, something more than you. 
some greater love. God, I pray, Lord, that we would go back to our first love. We thank you so much, God, for your faithfulness and for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.